1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Good morning. Uh, my name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to have you with us here today. Hope you enjoy your time. Uh, we're in the Bible, looking at the Bible as we do every week. I'm going to pray. Let's jump into it. Let's talk to God. Lord, we want to thank you for this morning. We want to thank you that each of us are here uh, because you willed it and because you want us here to speak a message directly to our hearts and our minds. We want to pray that as we open your word that you'd help us put distractions aside, thoughts aside, and just want to hear from you. We want to pray, God, that you would, you would be here by the power of your Holy Spirit to, to speak to us, to show us more of yourself, to show us the goodness of the church and spiritual gifts within the church. Lord, just use me as your servant and bless our time together, we ask. Amen. Now, I wonder... Um, what is the greatest or best gift or present you've ever received? I can remember um, being engaged to my wife, Katie, and uh, getting close to our wedding day. So as you do, uh, you go and make a gift registry, right? So you, um, you go to Maya or David Jones, you walk through and you get all the things you need that you think you need to start a new home together. And I can remember walking through Maya with Katie and uh, she would pick all the plates she wanted and the matching bowls that she wanted and then uh, we had to look at um, toasters and kitchen appliances, and we spent hours picking sheets and trying to find a doona cover. She loved it. Not me at all. Um, but anyway, we spent, uh, we spent a few hours doing that. And then you, know, you give your gift registry out, and then on the wedding day, people bring gifts, and they, you still get 30 toasters and eight stick blenders, and in, it's just inevitable, right? It's just what every, always happens. But when we were preparing the gift registry, I had an idea. Uh, around that time, the Xbox 360 had been released. And uh, so I had the idea of putting an Xbox 360 on the wedding registry. And it was a gaming console, but it was also a DVD player. Katie loves DVDs. I love gaming consoles. Bam, together, what an idea, right? Everyone would win. Now, uh, so I put it on there, and to be honest, I didn't really expect anyone to buy it. But someone did. And uh, a few good mates of mine got together and uh, put their money in, and they, uh, they, they bought the Xbox 360. So after honeymoon, we got home, opened up all the presents, and to my great surprise, 
we had an Xbox 360. And I was a little bit embarrassed about it, but I thought I should keep it, and I did. And, uh, and uh, it was so kind of our friends to do this, to buy us this. And, uh, but it wasn't really totally selfless on uh, their behalf. So they knew that me having Xbox would mean that they would be coming over to my house regularly and playing it with me. Uh, and they were. I invited them over regularly. We played many hours of uh, FIFA together, all enjoying this gift they had purchased. And it was an incredible gift, a generous gift, and a gift, though, that was mostly uh, enjoyed when others were invited in to use that, this gift for the good of others. Today we're looking at this idea of uh, spiritual gifts and the place and the purpose of spiritual gifts. And we're going to see that spiritual gifts are given and are to be used really for the sake of others. Uh, As we've been doing over the past few months, we've been looking through the book of 1 Corinthians and we've seen it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a young church, to a young church that he began and it was struggling with a bunch of different issues. And he's writing to him to address these issues in the church. And we're in a section where Paul is answering and questions around what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to respond to one another when they're in a gathering like, like this, like on a Sunday, right? That's what he's writing to. And specifically, he's writing in chapters 12, 13, and 14 about how to use spiritual gifts within the church context. Chapter 12, sentence 1, Paul begins, here it is, here on the screen behind me, by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. So he's talking about spiritual gifts for the church. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's going to go and address that. Next three chapters, he speaks about spiritual gifts, really. And firstly, he says in chapter 12, like, just to start it all off, you are one, you are unified by the Holy Spirit. So there's no us and them in the church, you are all one in the church, united. And then he goes on to say that you are diverse. You have different gifts and abilities so you're one, but there's diversity within that oneness. We read in chapter 12, as Jacob preached a little while ago, that, that he uses the body analogy. One body, many parts, all working together, playing their part within the body for the glory, for the glory of God. And then last week I preached on uh, chapter 13, where Paul said that the, the, using your gifts, the way to use them is, is for love, is to seek the good of others. That's going to be primary and central in the church. Love based on, the other, uh, based on other person's centeredness, based on Jesus' love for us. And for the Corinthians to apply that thinking that they have to then use their gifts, but the motivation for these gifts is to love others. That's what he's been saying. Now today we hit chapter 14, and today really I want to spend like a, a bit of time stepping back maybe from 1 Corinthians 14 and looking at this idea of spiritual gifts in the church and what they are and their purpose and their place. If you're new to Christianity or just checking us out here, um, this whole Jesus thing out, we love that you're here today and thanks, thank you for being here, we appreciate you being here. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, spiritual gifts, what is that, what sort of weirdo place is this, talking about spiritual gifts, and it does sound a little weird. But my hope is, as we walk through uh, what spiritual gifts are, what the Bible teaches, that you will see just how amazing God is and how He's wired and made the church to work how he's given each person the unity, but he's also given each person within the church a gift to use to, to contribute to a greater good. And you'll see what an amazing place the church is and can be when each of us use our spiritual gifts for the common good, for the sake of others. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm guessing that when it comes to this idea of spiritual gifts, depending on your church background, 
you're going to be thinking, yes, finally, wow, finally, waiting for spiritual gifts to be preached upon, can't wait for this. Or you're at the other end maybe thinking, I'm a little nervous, I'm, a little, I'm not really sure what to do with spiritual gifts, or you might have had a bad experience with the church that's really pushed spiritual gifts, or maybe because of your church background, you haven't really heard much about spiritual gifts or even the spirit at all. Or you were taught they don't exist anymore, and therefore we don't need to talk about them. Either way, I want to say that I think, and the Bible teaches, that spiritual gifts are a blessing and are actually God's good design for how the church is to operate, how it's to work. And I want to say, if we understand the Bible's teaching on spiritual gifts, I think we're so much more engaged in church life, way less consumeristic knowing our place and our purpose and believing that God has placed each of us here, here at City Light for a role to play and has empowered us and gifted us to do so. You will see that you aren't replaceable, that, you, that we need you here and God is calling you to play a part in this and he's gifted you to do so for his glory and our joy. And I also want to, I hope out of this that you'd see the importance of the Sunday gathering why it's so important to be here every week, to engage and to use your gifts as God has designed you to do. That's my hope today as we look at spiritual gifts together. So we're going to jump into it. I want to answer basically three questions around this. Firstly, what are spiritual gifts? What are they for? And how do you use them? What are they? What are they for? And how do you use them? Now this is, this is a huge topic and Churches do weeks and weeks on this topic. I'm going to do one talk and get through this. So there's some stuff that I'm not going to hit, obviously. Um, but I'm happy to answer questions afterwards. Or if you want to ask me questions or write questions, I'm happy to answer them. Some great books briefly to look at if you are more, want to read more on this. And I encourage you to read more on this. Uh, are three books. One's called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. The second one is called Don Carson, Showing the Spirit. The third one is The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gift by Sam Storms. If you want to know those, ask me later on. But they're three really good books on this topic. But as I said, I won't be touching on everything on spiritual gifts. But I want to be beginning by, uh, by trying to frame all of this as we look, go forward and frame what we do here at City. Like I think this is really important. Because any time we hit a topic or talk about an area of life or anything really in church matters or, or, or how we live in this world, for us the primary authority is and always will be the Bible. Uh, we believe the Bible is the word of God to us. This passage here is crucial. 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says this, All Scripture, all the Bible, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. So, from that, we can get the Bible is God's personal, God's word, revealed word to us, to guide and to direct all that we do. So here at City Light, we, we love God, we want to we know Him more, we, wanna be, we, we sit under Him, and therefore we sit under His matter, under His word in all areas of, 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 of life and doctrine and church teaching. And this is super important because a lot of us here will come to and say, uh, I've had this experience at church, or we do it this way at my old church, or I feel like we should do, like, like, do it like this. And that's all good and fine, but for us here at City Light, our ultimate authority is God and His Word. The Bible is our, th- our authority and it guides us in all matters of life, 
It's how God speaks to us, guides us, and leads us as individuals, as the church. So therefore, whatever we teach, whatever we look at, we're going to let the Bible first and let that direct us. And that's the basis we're going to approach spiritual gifts this morning with, looking at what God says to us in the Bible. So in light of that, what are spiritual gifts? In the Corinthian church, there's confusion over spiritual gifts. So Paul writes, as I said, chapters 12 and 14 as his corrective, trying to guide them. We read this in chapters, uh, chapter 12. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Sentence 7 is key. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I'll stop it there. Paul says this, this. There's one Spirit, one Lord, one God, God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, who gives each follower of Jesus the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Sentence 7. What is this manifestation? Well, these really are the gifts of the Spirit, because then he goes on to list what these manifestations are. He says, for, one, if, uh, for to one is given the, through the Spirit of, uh, the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. And then he goes on really to list nine different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to his followers. Sentence 11, he says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. These are spiritual gifts. Gifts from the Holy Spirit. Uh, just briefly, that's sort of what they are, but just briefly before we move on, a few things that we learn here about spiritual gifts. Firstly, spiritual gifts are just that, they're gifts. They're gifts given from the Holy Spirit. Sentence 11 says, it's a spirit who apportions, who gives to each person as he wills. As he wills. As he decides. That means not everyone will have the same gift. Or that we can earn a gift, or that your spiritual gift is about how mature you are. Here's one, I think, this is, uh, I think it's quite unbiblical when churches say that you must speak in tongues to be a follower of Jesus. If tongues are a gift from God, not everyone will have tongues. So you can't say to be a follower of, of Jesus, you've got to speak in tongues. It also means that if the Spirit gives, we can't boast or look down on others because they are not gifted as you are. The Spirit gives gifts and, 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 and takes away, but th- this means that there's no room for pride or no room for boasting. It also means that all have spiritual gifts. Often hear people say to me, I'm not gifted, I don't have any spiritual gifts. Well, the Bible says you do. We all have spiritual gifts. We all have at least one. Most likely we have more than one. We have at least one. Sentence 7 says, To each the manifestation of the Spirit is given. To each, everyone, for the common good. Every single follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift given by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to list all those gifts, but there are four different lists given of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 7, Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 are all lists of the gifts of the Spirit. They're not exhaustive, but they are things like words of wisdom, words of knowledge, uh, faith, gifts of healing, works of miracles, prophecy, discerning of tongues, tongues, interpretations of tongues, teaching, encouragement, serving, leadership, giving. They are some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to followers of Jesus for the good. Gifts of the Spirit. In no way this is, is, is this exhaustive list. 
I would say that any gift or ability that you have that you use for the building up of others in the church is a spiritual gift. So gifts are wide and they're diverse and the lists found in the Bible aren't exhaustive. The final thing I want to say on this point is that these gifts, gifts are for today and they still exist in the church today. Some would argue that spiritual gifts no longer exist in the church, that when the Bible came together, that the gifts ceased to exist. Someone who holds this position will be known as a cessationalist. That is, they believe the gifts have ceased. Uh, and there are people who follow Jesus who believe this, but, but I, I, I can't see this biblically. I think reading 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, uh, gifts are how, is how God chooses to maintain and grow and build his church. So I would say that the gifts are still at work today in the church. They're still going. You know, at 11 a.m., right, I see gifts here. I see the gift of wisdom like in Steve Dunn or the gift of music in the muses like Marlon and Joy and Mark and Beth. I see the gift of encouragement in someone like Kelsey. I see the gift of faith at work people like Amanda. I see the gift of serving from the guys from the Sound and AV team to the City Kids team to the Crash team. God is at work in this church by His Spirit, gifting people to love and to build His church for the common good. That's what He's doing. That's what spiritual gifts are. So spiritual gifts are firstly from the Bible, looking at the Bible, that's being authority. They're given by the Holy Spirit. We all have them as His followers. They're wide and diverse, and they still exist in the church today. That's what we see spiritual gifts are. But if that's what they are, what do we use them for? Uh, how would he use them? How, how, what, what are they, what, what's their purpose? Let me try and illustrate this. A little while ago, uh, and I mentioned this to you, um, but I think it works. Um, I have a big tree in my front yard, and I was cutting it down, and I borrowed um, the, my, my sister's partner's chainsaw uh, to cut the tree down. And whenever I get a new power tool, uh, which is very rarely because I'm not a very handy guy, uh, my kids... Love it. The other day, I got a, I got a leaf blower for my for Father's Day. And, um, and I got it, and uh, my kids were just obsessed with it. And so um, I said to India that I'll blow dry her hair with it if she wants me to. And uh, the other day, uh, Sav had her little stuffed toy. She spilt her milk on it. She was crying. And so we got the toy and the leaf blower. <laughs> Fixed it in like 10 seconds. It was great. It was amazing. And uh, they were loving that. Uh, anyway, I cut this tree down with this chainsaw. And, uh, and, it was, and it was great, did a good job, and my father-in-law John came over, and I want to try and show him that I'm, I'm as handy as he is, I'm not even close, but I want to try and show how great it was. And so he came around, looked at my tree, and um, while I was there, Jet wanted to show my father-in-law the chainsaw. And so Jet went inside, got the chainsaw, ran it outside to me, and he passed it to me. And as he was passing it to me, he put his finger on the trigger, which started the blade spinning. And he passed it to me, and it cut my arm. I, could, I felt it cut my arm. And I was look, expected to look down and see my arm on the ground. <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't. It just nicked me. I've got a scar there to, uh, to, to remind me of, uh, of that little, little episode. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but I, love that. I love about my son that he's always wanted, wanting to be a part of what I'm doing. He's always, wanting, he's always saying to me, Dad, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I be part of this? Can I help you? What can I do? He's my son, and he wants to be working with me and helping me out and helping his dad out. Why do I use this illustration? Well, well it's, it's the same with us today. We have a heavenly dad. 
We have a God, the creator of all, who is still at work today. He's at work in his church. He's at work here in City Light. And he is at work building us up, growing us more like Christ. He's at work, and he's at work helping us to be a light to our city, taking the good news of Jesus to a world that longs to know, finding forgiveness and mercy from sin, death, and judgment. And God is calling us and he's inviting us and, and, and bringing us in to be at work with him. You and I, his followers. He doesn't just say, be at work now, go ahead and do your best. No, he empowers us to do that role. He gives us his Holy Spirit and we are empowered and we are gifted and we receive these spiritual gifts to be about his work, to be about building his church, to be about being a light to our city. He gives us a greater eternal purpose and empowers us to do so. This is why God gives us spiritual gifts to use them to grow the church and to build his kingdom. And we see this as we unpack 1 Corinthians 14, the passage that Jacob read for us. Let me show you that. As I said, these Corinthians have been confused over these spiritual gifts. Paul's writing to correct them. So Paul writes and says, I I love that you're using your spiritual gifts, but you're using them all wrong, and you don't really understand their place or their purpose. See, the the Corinthians had this over-obsession with tongues, with tongue speaking. Uh, That's what Paul writes in chapter 14. And so he's writing chapter 14 to to try and contrast prophecy versus tongues. And so the prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy, is better in the gathered church than tongues is. And he spends most of his time in chapter 14 trying to unpack this. Let me show you this. The first five sentences of chapter 14, he says this. Pursue love. So he starts with this. Pursue love. That's the key, and he's been talking about that in chapter 13. That's the principle. Pursue love. And then he says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Paul's not saying, like, you guys are crazy. Stop using your spiritual gifts. He goes, no, no, keep using them. But just know how to use them. He says, they're good, but especially pursue, the, pursue that you may prophesy. Seek and desire, desire prophecy, he says. He says, for one who speaks in tongues speaks not to, not, not to men, but to God. But no one understands him, but he, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to God for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in the tongues unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. As I said, this whole issue is around this church wanting to speak in tongues. And Paul is saying, desire the spiritual gift of prophecy rather than tongues because prophecy builds up the church. The point of the gift is to build up church and that is why you should be desiring the gifts that build up the church. Helps followers of Jesus. But... To understand this more, we've got to get to the, the, the we've got to ask the question: What is the gift of tongues, and what is the gift of prophecy? Let me try and jump into this. Let's start with tongues. What is the gift of tongues? We've all heard and seen, maybe experienced it. But what is the gift of tongues? Let me try and define this biblically for you, if I can. Well, we know it's a spiritual gift that's listed in one Corinthians twelve, and really, if you read the Bible, there seems to be two sort of expressions of tongues going on. You read the one where it's an actual language. So, that is, people who don't know a language of a, of a people group or a country and they come to speak the gospel, 
They're given the gift of tongues to miraculously speak the language they don't know so that people can hear the gospel. You see that in Acts 2. That's what happens there. People are hearing the gospel in their own language. That seems to be an expression of the gift of tongues. But there also seems to be another expression of tongues, and I get this from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where it seems more like this ecstatic utterance, maybe a heavenly language. It doesn't really have an ordinary human meaning. Paul says, tongues of angels in 1 Corinthians 13. And it seems to be that the, 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 the tongues, from what Paul is saying, 1 Corinthians 13, really actually builds up an individual. It builds people up and encourages the individual when they speak in tongues. And so it seems to be this kind of this utterance where your heart is full to the overflowing with the Holy Spirit and it loosens your tongue to utter this heavenly language. And it's of spiritual value uh, to the person. And it can be of spiritual value to the church gathering, if Paul says, if someone is there to interpret it. So Paul says, know an interpreter? Well, don't do it in church. There's no point. It doesn't build anyone else up. So Paul wants them to speak in tongues for their own encouragement, but even more, prophecy. Because he says prophecy builds up the church. The next question is, well, what is prophecy then? What does he mean by that? And again, I think, this, I think prophecy is a little harder to, uh, to define, but let's try it again. And I think it can be identified by its outcomes that it achieves. So uh, Paul says that prophecy is for the upbuilding, for the encouragement and the consolation, he says. In sentence 3, look at this. Sentence 3, he says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This is the same thing again in sentence 4 and 5 and 12. Prophecy builds up the church. Let me get some clarity at what it is from sentence 29 to 32. Have a look at this. It says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh in what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. That is, they're subject to the Bible. Prophecy, I think then, you can say here, is a word given to the church by a person based on this spontaneous, personal revelation from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edification, for encouragement, for conviction, for building up the church. That needs to be tested against the Bible. I think that's what we get from here. So if the spiritual gifts are to build the church up, then prophecy is what the church needs more than people speaking in tongues that no one can understand. Prophecy builds others up. Without an interpreter, no one gets built up, just the person speaking. That's why Paul says in sentence 19, which I think is really cool, he says this, In the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Paul is saying, teaching the church to desire spiritual gifts that build the church up. Sentence 12, we keep saying, strive to excel in building up one another, building up the church. Spiritual gifts are given to love and build others up. That's why Paul says, seek gifts like prophecy rather than tongue, because they build the church up. That's what he's been saying here. And this really leads us to our last question. How are, we, how are we to use spiritual gifts in the church? As I mentioned before, I have a, um, a pretty amazing, handy father-in-law. Some of you know him, uh, and I'm sure he's helped some of you out from time to time. He's helped me out regularly, and he enjoys helping people. Uh, he's incredibly gifted. Uh, he did his apprenticeship uh, as a uh, mechanic 
Uh, he went and studied as a, a, a degree in civil engineering. He then did a degree in financial planning, and he also built his own house. He's true like MacGyver. You just mean he's like MacGyver, right? On, a, on an island, you want John Gowdy with you. He's, uh, he's pretty amazing. But what makes him so amazing is he uses his abilities and gifts to love others and to serve others. He has helped a number of people with their cars, either fixed them or given advice. I remember one time uh, a guy from 4pm, Shem, drove his car with no oil cap on it, spurting oil everywhere, calls John, goes to John's house, and John makes him a new one out of spare rubber he found in his garage. Right? I don't know. How do you do that? That's what John did. That's what John can do. Uh, he's uh, fixed, fixed and installed many issues in people's houses and fridges and washing machines and given financial advice. And he even, uh, one time we had a possum in our roof, he made, he, made a, he made a trap out of two old milk crates he had at his house, which even had a trap door, and it caught the possum in half an hour. <laughs> Problem was, he then, <laughs> the possum was trapped, and I said, John, the possum was trapped. He said, well, let it out. I'm like, I'm not touching that thing. He came over, asked me to hold the trap. I freaked out, dropped it, possum ran into my house, was running around. Anyway, <laughs> he's just like, he's just shaking his head. <laughs> anyway, that's not my point. My point is, my father-in-law is a man who is so gifted, he's so talented, but he uses those gifts to serve others. That's what he does. He's to love others. And this is what Paul is saying here, spiritual gifts in the church. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good to love and to build up others. That's how they're to be used. Paul says the point of, of the gathering is to build up and to love others and also to proclaim Jesus and what he has done. So when the church gathered, was gathered, Paul says, church needs to be ordered. It can't be just chaos where people are just shouting things out and speaking in tongues there and saying things here. It needs to be in order to it so that people can understand what is going on. Paul is saying there's a point to church, there's a point to gathering, to build others up and to proclaim Jesus. The point of church is not to show how spiritual you are or how, many, how great your gifts are or even the gifts aren't the point or the spirit's not the point. Jesus is the point. Who he is and what he has done. Have a look at Genesis 23:25 with me. He says, if, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy... An unbeliever or outside enters, he's convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The point of the gathering of the church is to encourage one another, at the same time to proclaim and to rejoice in Jesus, so that whoever comes into our midst can understand that and see who Jesus is and what he has done, and come to know him and to love him. And I want to say today, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, we love you are here. And we hope that you can see who Jesus is through our singing, through whatever sit at the front here, through opening the Bible. We want to encourage you and to let you know that God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to come and to die in your place for your sin and your rebellion. The Bible says clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all rebelled and not honored God or worshipped Him as He's deserved or thanked Him. We all sin, as the Bible says, and we experience that in our lives day to day. We experience that in our brokenness of our world, living in a world that isn't as it should be. And, and, and all this because we deserve punishment and judgment for our sin against our creator God. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
who loves, sends his son Jesus, who comes and lives a life where he obeys God the Father all the time, perfectly, fully, always, living a perfect, sinless life. And on the cross, uh, then, then he comes and dies on the cross as he came to do. On the cross, God pours out his judgment and his wrath on Jesus for us in our place. Jesus becomes our substitute. And on that cross, he takes away our sin. He takes away my sin, my guilt, my punishment. And I get this amazing gift of his righteousness, his life, his perfect record. This amazing swap takes place. And Jesus says, I have died for you in your place. I've taken your sin. And now he offers me life. A real living relationship with God, my heavenly dad. And all my sin and all my shame is taken away. And I can now relate to God as I should. And Jesus dies and rises again, and he beats death once for all, and he promises for all those who follow him, who trust him, they too we raise to life and spend eternity with him where they belong in heaven, home. And this offer of life, of forgiveness, of a relationship is, is all yours by grace. And Jesus invites all of us to come, to come to him and know this good news that Jesus has done. And, Jesus, and God gives this good news to the church, to his followers to take to the world. And that's what he calls them to do. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, you're not sure where you stand with him, we want to invite you today to come, to come to him, to know this love, to know this relationship, to know this grace, to know this freedom, and it can be yours today, right now. If you're here and you want to know more, please, we would love to talk to you. This is why we exist we want to talk to you more. You have questions. We have Christian Explored. or have a, just chat about anything to help you to know Jesus more. That's what we want to do. So please write in your slip. Come and chat to us. We want to talk to you more about this. But let's, let's try and wrap all this up on spiritual gifts. We said spiritual gifts are given by God through the power of the Holy Spirit to all who follow Jesus. These gifts are wide and diverse and are given to build one another up in love and to show and proclaim Jesus to the world. But so what? Does it really matter? So the aim here is not to simply know more at spiritual gifts, but a knowledge that leads to action and to growth and to change life for the glory of God. See, Paul says in chapter 14:1, what does he say? Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. As I've been writing this, I've been thinking, do I, do we eagerly desire spiritual gifts? And Paul's not saying desire it so it shows how, show you how, how great you are, but desire them so you can love more people. You can serve more people. You can be building God's kingdom. Desire spiritual gifts to serve the church, to build others up, to show Jesus. I love this quote by the, this writer Don Carson who's, great thinker. He says this, we must desire to know more of God's presence in our lives and pray for a display of unleashed, reforming, revivifying power among us, dreading all steps that aim to domesticate God. But such prayer and hunger must always be tempered with joyful submission to the constraints of biblical discipline. Such a good balance. I want to say, let's be a church who seeks God, who seeks the power and the presence of of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. He doesn't domesticate God based on our preconceived ideas of what God can or can't do, 
based on our past church experiences, what we've seen and haven't seen. Let's, let's hunger more of God and His work in our lives, in our church, having His Word at the center. Let's be a church who sees a need, prays, asks God for power, and then goes and does it. Let's listen and observe and watch and wait on God to see what He puts in our hearts, to see who He's leading us to, of where to serve. Let's be a church that is still before Him and seeks His guidance on what gifting He has given us or what gifting He wants to give to us. Let's be a church whose conversations with one another are filled with prophecy, seeking to give a word to one another to build one another up, to encourage one another as followers of Jesus. Let's be a church that is committed to being here on a Sunday, week in, week out. And we can't love and use our God-given gifts if we aren't even here to use them. You know, God reveals himself differently in a different way when we gather as his people. I want to say, let's make gathering as God's people weekly one of our highest priorities. So we can love one another, encourage one another, and share Jesus with, with others who don't know. Let's put aside the thought that church doesn't need me. I have nothing to offer. The church needs you. And God has called you to be here and has empowered you to do so. He's placed you strategically here in city like Balmain for a purpose. And that purpose is to, is, to be, is to grow and be grown, to use your spiritual gifts to serve and to love and to build the church of God, the kingdom of God, here now on earth, that will have ramifications for eternity. God has not made a mistake by placing you here, and he's not lying when he said that all, all believers are gifted to love and to serve. I want to say, let's be a church. Let, let's be the church God has empowered us to be by the Holy Spirit. Let's be that church. That's our desire. That's our want. And that's going to be my prayer. So let's pray now. God, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for your, for your work in us. We want to thank you so much for your empowering Holy Spirit that you give to every single one of your followers Thank you that you are here this morning, that you are dwelling here among us, your people. Lord, we want to say sorry that we domesticate you sometimes. We don't expect you even to work. We go through the motions. Lord, we want to pray that we would, you would change our thinking, we would repent of these ways. That we expect you and delight in your work, that we would, you would use us, empowered by the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us to love and to serve, to build the church and to build your kingdom. To seek to be a church that is outward focused, that shows the glory of the gospel to a world that is hungry and longing to know. Lord, do a work in our lives this week. Do a work in our lives right now. Holy Spirit, convict us Lord, help us not to be, to be, to be lukewarm or to be, live the, 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 the normal Christian life, but just help us to grow more in our love of you and see that you have placed us here for a reason. Help us to see the beauty in the Sunday gathering. We don't just come here to tick a box. We come here to meet with you through your word and to encourage others and help us to see the beauty of the church, your bride. 
Lord, do a deep work, we ask now, for your sake and for our joy, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.